0: Up and down the coast of California, from San Diego to Sacramento, from the Bay to the border, these are the young voices of the Golden State. This podcast tells their stories, the stories of men and women who are fighting for a voice in their communities and all over the country, who are working together in solidarity to rise up as one. From Fusion Media Group, this is The Brave. I'm your host, Thelonious Monk, and together with reporters from Fusion's Rise Up Be Heard youth journalism program, we're lifting up the stories of real people who are discovering strength and solidarity and common cause with one another. What were you doing when you were 19 years old? If you were like me, you don't even want to tell people what you were doing when you were 19 years old. Look, I definitely wasn't spending much time thinking about social justice, activism, and the impact I could have on the world. But for the Gorman sisters, activism started from an even earlier age.
1: I sing a neighborhood anthem for the silenced. The sixth grade students my mother teaches in a Watts public school. I hope for the misunderstood, these students who
2: respond to the...
0: That's Amanda Gorman, the nation's first youth poet laureate. Her and her sister, filmmaker Gabrielle Gorman, have been working together since they were kids growing up in Los Angeles. Amanda's working on her sophomore year at Harvard. Gabrielle's a little closer to home at UCLA, but the two still work together as much as their busy schedules allow.
1: This is my city. Student chanting Black Lives Matter because it's true. This is my California. Giving volume to the voices of trans women at the Women's March because woman means them too. This is my country. Catholic grandmother on bus defending hijab wearing girl immigrant.
0: And that was a scene from Gabrielle's film Rise Up Is One. The two have been using their own platforms, poetry and film, to share their experiences as young black women and explore the importance of intersectionality and social progress. Our Rise Up Be Heard reporter Jeremy Miller talked to Gabrielle
3: and Amanda about their work. Tell us about the Rise Up as One video that you guys made together and also tell us uh, what inspired you to create that.
2: After the election, that was probably, for me at least, the, the most depressed I've ever been in my life. It was just so many days going by and just not, just wondering when I'll, you'll be allowed to smile again or laugh again. And uh, I think for artists, so much of our art is is bred out of pain. And so my fir- my instinct was just to go straight to art um and i just wanted to capture uh, the youth because i think that um i think at a time like this on one hand older generations are always telling us you know the future's in your hands the future's in your hands but i also think they can underestimate us a lot of the times um and tell us that we don't know what's going on or that we You know, we're too addicted to our phones to understand. And I think, you know, the youth, we have been at the forefront of so many different movements. um, And we have been given the opportunity to do the same thing now. And that's what I really wanted it to be about, was about, um, you know, showing people my age how much power we do have. And that that power is is only fully realized when we are all together as one and when we're embracing our differences, but we're also recognizing our sameness. There's a lot of
1: energy being a young activist because there's a lot of solidarity and a lot of advocacy going on, so that's actually good news, which means you never are quite alone in your mission for A plethora of social justice issues especially as a young woman of color when we look at the historical continuum of whether women of color have been included or represented in leadership positions and social movements that gets to be a more challenging question because often we're not on different spectrums of kind of campaigns and social movements but especially now in 2018 I feel so grateful because in these spaces, in these platforms, I feel that there's a way that I can not only make sure my voice is heard,
2: but that I can also help amplify the voices of other people. You know, the hard part about being an activist in this time is that so much activism is confined to social media. And it's hard trying to find a balance between, yes, like spreading awareness through that, but then also doing more of like the grassroots organizing um, but what I love is that I'm seeing so much more allyship than I've ever seen before in my life. So many people coming together and knowing that, um, you know, we'll never fully understand each other's struggles, but we can sort of use our own experiences to try to empathize with that.
1: I think the multiculturalism of the community that I grew up in helped inspire a passion for including diverse and unrepresented voices in my artwork. And we see that in the rise up as one video that my sister and I were really honored to be able to create and that we are really trying to work together in the best way possible in which to represent what does it mean to be part of kind of the California community, the Los Angeles community, which also simultaneously doesn't have one definition because there's so many beautiful languages and beautiful cultures being, kind of standing together in solidarity at this moment and that's what we wanted to speak to. Um, And so whenever I think about my background and my community and what that has done for my artwork, I'm always inherently and deeply grateful that it exposed me to the idea that difference is actually strength
2: there's an author, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, always talks about the danger of the single story. And I think if you look at any community right now or any movement, I think our, our big, one of our biggest problems is that we're so focused on a single story. So if we're looking at the feminist movement, we often look at it through the lens of white, heterosexual woman. If we're looking at the Black Lives Matter movement, it's black cisgender men. Um, and you can just see that as a trend in so many different movements. And I think when we really start to recognize that People are affected by so many different things and that, you know, our own prejudice is sometimes seeping into these movements. I think once we finally can recognize that is when we'll be able to truly move forward and fight for not just one aspect of a community, but all, all, all facets of every community. Amen to that.
3: So, Amanda, do you remember when you first wanted to be a poet? And then Gabrielle, do you remember when you first wanted to be a filmmaker?
1: Yep. I was in third grade, so I was around seven or eight years old, and my teacher was reading the book Dandelion Wine by Ray Bradbury. And I don't necessarily remember the line, but there's a type of metaphor that he uses where he's relating one thing to like a candy cane or candy or something like that and I was sitting crisscross applesauce on you know the multi-colored carpet of the room and my mind just exploded I was like what that's so cool he used this metaphor to connect these completely two different things but it makes sense basically like what a meme does, which I love. Um, And I was just so excited. I was like, that is magical. That is pure sorcery. That's what I want to be involved in for the rest of my life. And after that, I just kept writing and reading like a deranged person. And here I am.
2: So my first real film, I guess, would be the film that I made in 10th grade. So, um, so... It was, inspired, it was about the Birmingham bombing, and, and so if anyone doesn't know what this was about, it was um, where a, the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama was bombed by members of the Ku Klux Klan, and four girls were killed in the bathroom, um, and then there was the fifth girl who had survived. What happened was that it was—my church was sort of— uh, you know, recognizing the the anniversary of that bombing. And I I felt so upset when I got back to school and I was talking about it with people and no one knew what I was talking about at all. Um, And they especially didn't know about the fifth girl, Sarah Collins Rudolph, who had survived. And so after that, I had heard that story. I got my friends together and we filmed it at my church. And after I showed that film, I actually got in contact with Sarah Collins Rudolph and showed her the film. And we're still in contact today. Do
3: you guys always implement advocacy in your art?
2: Yeah, (laughs) I think it's, um, I mean, I've had people tell me, actually I was, um, one of my films showed in this, it was the Harvard Westlake Film Festival. And the next day, um, Aaron Sorkin had kind of gone through all the films um, that people had made and were telling us things about it. And when he got to my film, he told me that, Number one, he said he couldn't critique it because of the subject, um, but then he also wanted me to know that he felt that I shouldn't feel that every film has to sort of be specifically about the black experience, and for a while, I really thought about that, and I and I wanted to agree, but, but there was just something that blocked that. I think, for me, art and politics, it's one and the same, and... I mean, I may not always make films that are specifically about the black female experience, but it's always going to be fueled out of um, that little girl who, you know, hated her skin and her body and didn't couldn't find herself in the media. You know, I've tried to make pieces that weren't about those things, and it just, it's never worked out. My I Either I get to the editing process and my hands just won't move anymore, or, you know, I, I just feel completely unmotivated. I think film has been, film has for so many years perpetuated so many bad things and so many stereotypes. Um, And I think it is our job now as filmmakers or just as artists to constantly push for a better world through everything that we make.
1: True. Um, Robin Costa-Lewis, who's the current L.A. Poet Laureate, has a great quote from an interview where she's like, it would be great if I could write poetry about apples. And I feel that, in the sense that, of course, at times my poetry might be about nature, might be about music, it might be about teen angst, but my most inspired, my most agitated and I think my best poetry comes from those moments of deep reflection about its purpose in the world and its functionality in terms of progress. And sure, coming up with pretty metaphors and lyricism can be my poetic work, but my life work is that of making sure that voices and history and change is represented through that literature.
3: So Amanda, uh, the next question we want to ask is Uh, just share with us a little bit about being the first youth poet I can't even pronounce laureate (laughs) Uh, I can't either (laughs) so it's fine (laughs) so what is it like
1: it's amazing there's a lot of Pressure and angst and anxiety on my side because when you're the first one, there's a lot of nervousness about setting this precedent about the job that I'm doing. But on the other side, the most exciting piece of that is that I am creating something new and I'm laying a foundation, and that's really thrilling to be part of. And um, it keeps me busy a lot at school and I'm traveling a lot and my friends are like, "Where are you?" Most days, um, but I love it because I get to meet with so many young writers and students who are just so inspired, and that motivates me even more.
3: What was the narrative uh, around African-American people when you were growing up, and do you think that narrative has changed? Uh, and lastly, what role would you like to play in changing it?
2: Mm. I think no. the the role of black woman, um, specifically in television, has really s- started to change. Even since I was younger, because of beautiful people like Shonda Rhimes and Carrie Washington and Viola Davis and uh, Asian Iowa King and all those people. Um, because I didn't even have that. I think we're starting to, I love that people are starting to take more chances with not just black women, but specifically dark skinned black women. Because when I was younger, I felt like a lot of the times when I did see black women, it was always people who were light skinned and who were mixed. And you know, while those are you know people like Sunday and Amanda sunberg I mean they're beautiful and they're great actresses, it again, it gave people a very limited idea of the black community um, and I've heard something like black black people apparently are the most diverse out of any any um, racial group in ter- in terms of skin tone, so the fact that we're only focusing on you know, such a, a very limited idea of pe- of black people is, is really disturbing. Um, and so I love that now I can turn on the television, I can see more people who resemble me and who have hair that's like mine um, or a body that's like mine. And uh, the role that I would like to, to take in that is I just want to make more films that are putting more, um, <clears throat> not just black people, but people of color in roles um, Whether it be a role that is specifically for black people or it be a role that just happens to, you know, just be about someone who's trying to achieve their dreams and it just happens to have a person of color. I think we need a balance between the two. I
1: definitely agree. Um, One narrative that I've seen growing up of the African-American community is that we're strong, which is true. But the problem is one that gets constrained to that one facet of who we are and exactly about what Gabrielle was talking about before about the danger of the single story. What I'm excited to see is we're to, starting to see multifaceted perceptions of what that narrative looks like. I get very thrilled when I start to see pieces where it exposes the vulnerability, actually, of black women, rather than just painting them as these strong towers of steel. To see that we can see a black woman cry, we can see a black woman smile, we can have joy, be an aesthetic that we can paint black identities in
2: black women are incredibly strong but I also think it takes a very long time for most of us to get there because society is always telling us that you know our lips are too full or our hair is too kinky or our skin is too dark or you know um we, we get so much pressure from society to look a certain way um and I know for me that was I mean I, I'm I'm always trying to to talk about my experience with that because that dominated so much of my younger years was always wanting to be this, this idea of beauty and perfection, not realizing that you already have all of those things. And so, um, you know, I love that more people are starting to bring awareness to the fact that, um, the fact that insecurity is such a prevalent um, feeling in our community, and we have to start talking about it, and we have to also start acknowledging that that is, in its own way, a mental health issue.
3: So the last question is what would you like to accomplish in the future and what careers do you see yourself pursuing? Um, And that's, that's it. (laughs) So you guys can start with uh, whoever first, but what are, what are some goals you guys would like to accomplish in the future?
1: G you go. Cool. Um, In the future, I would like to become president of the United States, which I will not be able to do legally until 2036 when I am of age. Apart from that, I would like to continue my career as a writer and as an activist, and I'm really hoping to be able to publish and present a lot more stories, not just poetry, but also novels and songs, which really call forth the mission that I've had of trying to promote peace, fairness, and equality.
2: You know, I just, I think my main goal is to help create a world where no one ever has to feel the way that um the way that I felt when I was younger. Um yeah, where no little girl has to look in the mirror and, you know, hate what she sees staring back at her. I think that's my biggest goal.
3: Awesome. Awesome. Um well, that is the end of the question. So I would love to thank you guys for uh just Spending this time with me and answering these questions and letting us know a little bit more about yourselves.
2: Whoop, whoop. Thanks for having us. (laughs) Thank you so much.
0: And back in the studio with literally the funniest activist to ever activist, felonious Monk. You know, what struck me the most about these two impressive young women, and they're impressive for a multitude of reasons beyond activism. And I think that's what makes them most impressive. They could have focused their work on on being on poetry or, or in film, but they decided, right? And I think that's a very important distinction to make. They decided to get involved and activism that doesn't always directly affect them or impact them. And to be clear, they are also black women. And so a lot of these um, power dynamics would affect them eventually, if not first. But the idea that two women uh, who had other opportunities still chose, still chose to uh, lean in to helping people. you know, it, it makes me want to do more than I'm doing. And I hope that those people who are listening, you see them and go, hey, you know what, maybe I can't change the world, but maybe I can get involved and help. And that's all we're trying to do here is rise up as one and help. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to our Rise Up fellow and reporter Jeremy Miller for his work on this story. The Brave Podcast is a project of Fusion Media Group in partnership with the California Endowment. The Rise Up Be Heard program manager is Jacob Seamus. The show is produced by Raghu Manavalan. Our executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch, and. Fusion's executive director of audio is Mandana Mofidi. Special thanks to Fusion Stephen Keppel and Marcella Rodriguez of the California Endowment and to AudioLink LA Studios in Los Angeles, California. You can find out more about the incredible men and women featured on this podcast in the show notes of this episode. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Next up on the podcast...
2: That is what solidarity is. It's like... Right is right. Wrong is wrong. And when you see another person or community experiencing injustice or disenfranchisement or oppression or just things that are wrong, like if that doesn't do something in the pit of your stomach and move you to act, um, you need to check in with yourself.
0: Don't miss it. Seriously, subscribe so you won't miss it. Okay. And I'm Felonia Monk. I'll see you next time. We're back. We're back in the studio with a man who can only be described by one word, tired. I'm Felonius Monk, your host of The Brave. <laughs>